It's great to be with you. Um, I was teasing Tim in the last service that there's a lot of beards on staff here and a lot of his hair in general. I'm feeling a little, little out of place. Uh, but then after the service, I saw, and even today, there's a lot of, lot of, lot of beards. So I got a little bit of hair envy this morning. <laughs> Uh, it is great to be with you. My name's uh, Andy Steiger, as was mentioned, and being here in Coquitlam this morning, really, or Tri-Cities, feels like coming home for me. It was 18 years ago that I started pastoring, and I started at Eagle Ridge Bible Fellowship. I was their youth and young adults pastor uh, for a couple years and loved serving here, and it was actually fun. In the last service, I met uh, some of my youth uh, actually attend here and now have kids and reminds me of how old I am. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, listen, we're going to jump into things, but before I do, I just want to mention this apologetics component because it sometimes confuses people. It's a ministry that my wife and I started 10 years ago, and I'll mention a little bit later. Uh, the word apologetics is a Greek word. I know some people think you know, what does that mean? Is it about apologizing? No, uh, the word apologetics comes from apologia, and it's found in our Bibles. And in fact, it's even used in Greece today. It's still a, a common word, and it refers to giving an answer or a reason. And we see this in the Bible where Peter and Paul will say, listen, we need to be able, willing to give an answer or a reason in apologia for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And listen, that's my prayer this morning. My prayer is that you do have hope and that you have good reason for the hope that you have and that you're able to share and willing to share that hope with other people in a world that desperately needs it. And so that's, that's the idea of apologetics. Now, I started that 10 years ago, and it's a long story. I don't have time to get into it all, but uh, seven years ago, I, we started hosting the conference at Northview, and I went to meet their young adults pastor. They didn't have one, and I chastised them for that, and they said, well, why don't you do it? And I, and, and I said, I hadn't thought about that, and then, well, what if we did both? And that started this conversation uh, where I, I started wearing both hats, where I did Northview Young Adults Ministry and Apologetics Canada, and I've also worked with your church a lot and with Jake, uh, or Jacob as I, I call him. I've heard other people say Jake around here. Uh, at any rate, we even had some of your young adults come out with us last summer uh, to uh, an event we do called Float Fest out in Asoyas. So lots of great connections, uh, and, uh, and it's good to be here and getting to, to see as this church is just flourishing. And, and actually for myself as a pastor, I was here before all the construction and stuff, praying uh, about what God was gonna, how God was going to use this church. And in fact, as a pastoral staff last week, we were praying for you guys and just so excited about all that's happening here. So as you can imagine, then it's a privilege to get a, to get a share with you from God's word. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open it. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to warn you, uh, I brought my NIV. I, I know that some, many of you have a, an ESV, so I apologize. Uh, if I would have known that, I would have brought my ESV. So I have an NIV. It's a little bit different uh, translation. Uh, but I think you'll be able to keep up with me. So we're in 2 Timothy. Uh, we're going to be looking at the topic of an inheritance of faith. And that's an idea that maybe you've never thought about before. What is your inheritance of faith? Not only a faith that you've inherited, but what about the faith that you're going to pass on? What will the inheritance be? And that's what Paul is going to be challenging Timothy with, and we're going to be looking at, and specifically, 
I want to look at three aspects of faith by asking three questions that come from the text. The first question that we're going to be looking at is, do you have faith? Secondly, is your faith growing? And third, we're going to look at the challenging question, are you ashamed of your faith? So looking in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3, we read, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Evnike and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. By the way, that's that name Evnike is kind of a hard one to pronounce, so I just looked at the Greek, and that's how you pronounce it. Trust me on that one. I know it looks different. But notice what Paul's saying to Timothy. Timothy, you have an inheritance of faith. You have a rich inheritance of faith. You have your grandmother had faith. Pass that on to your mother. Your mother has faith. She passed that on to you. And now, Timothy, you have faith. What about you, though? Paul was writing you a letter. What would he be reminding you of? What, what is your inheritance of faith? Maybe some of you have a great inheritance. Maybe your grandmother's belie- grandmother believed and your mom believed and, and you believe and, and you've inherited that faith. If that is you this morning, I just want to take a moment to remind you of how incredibly blessed you are. That, that is a wonderful inheritance And it's an inheritance that not all of us receive. For myself, uh, I did not not receive an an inheritance of faith. I received uh, a deficit of faith, in fact. My, My family was quite broken. My grandmother did not believe and my grandmother was 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 a broken individual, came from a broken family herself. But my my grandmother cheated on my grandfather. She got married a couple times, was was an alcoholic. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My grandfather died of alcoholism. That That was the inheritance that my mother received. Maybe some of you can relate with that. My mom then, in that deficit, grew up in her own brokenness. That brokenness got even worse when her husband left her and four children and our dog named Fluffy. God bless her. Love Fluffy. But listen, that's, that's the inheritance I found myself in. I was five years old when my dad left. Never a return. Grew up very poor. Grew up in a broken family. Grew up watching my mom, who is just really a shell of a person. When you go through something like that, your identity is just absolutely destroyed. And my mom, uh, my mom was, just, was just broken. That was, that was the inheritance that I received. Now, listen, uh, I share that, but uh, one time I shared this at a church and a guy came up to me afterwards and he goes, brother, you need some counseling. And I'm like, no, listen, I, I get it, but I, I've, I've walked through this. Listen, this morning, I'm sharing this with you because I think you might be able to relate with me. Not all of us have this Timothy inheritance, do we? There's a lot of us that have brokenness that we've inherited. And I want to begin to ask you in the midst of that, where's your faith? Do you have a faith? And what's, what's taking place with that? 
For me, what began as a deficit, though, really began to change. Began to change as I began to witness as my grandmother came to faith in Jesus. I witnessed as my grandmother began to put the broken pieces of her life back together through the work of God in her life as she put her trust into Jesus. And I got to tell you, it was incredible to watch as my, my grandmother's life was mended in Jesus. And that, by the way, if I could just encourage you that that is an incredible miracle, isn't it? You know, we often will think about the physical healings that happen to a person, but what about the emotional and spiritual healing of the transformation that happens in people's lives through Christ? I'm telling you, I, you know, growing up in brokenness, I find that sort of transformation of the heart far more impressive. Far more impressive. As I watched what happened with my grandmother, and then I watched as that same transformation took place in my mom. I remember my mom coming to faith in Jesus. I remember as her faith began to take root in her and and as her identity was filled in Jesus and began to change the kind of person that she was. Man, my grandmother, by the way, she went on to be one of the most loving, amazing people in Jesus. My grandmother without Jesus was broken. But my grandmother with Jesus, that was something to see. She loved people and she loved God to the day she died. Same thing with my mom. My mom without Jesus, broken, but man, my mom with Jesus. You go ask my kids, my wife, anybody that knows her. Judy is an amazing woman with Jesus. And she loves God and she loves people and God is doing an amazing work. And my mom and I have loved watching it. But there's this moment in each of us where that faith becomes your faith. And and what are you going to do with that inheritance, whether it's a great inheritance or it's a deficit. What about you? For myself, this was something that I really had to wrestle with because when my mom eventually got remarried, uh, my uh, dad, my biological father, called up my mom, called up my stepdad and said, would, would your new husband, would your stepdad please adopt Andy and, and the kids so that I don't have any more responsibility for them? That, that was my journey. Uh, Steiger is not the name I was born with. That's, that, that has become my adopted name. And that has always hung over me as a dark cloud. You know, that, that of my inheritance of a father who didn't want me, of, of a name that I have never respected or appreciated. And so much so that I was, as I was journeying through my own faith journey, uh, and, and, and as God began to, to work in me, and, and listen, I, I, I came to faith, and I saw what God had done in my grandmother and my mom, and I remember this moment where I said, listen, God, if you could do that in me, if you could fix me like you fixed, as, as you've worked in my grandmother and my mom, God, that's what I want. I will place my trust in you. By the way, that's what faith means. It's a, it's a Bible uses the word faith. Faith means trust. It means trust. It means placing your trust in what you have good reason to believe is true. And I saw that there was good reason to believe that Jesus is true because I saw what he was doing in, in them and I saw what he was doing in me, but I still had stuff I had to work through. You and I still have stuff we have to work through given the brokenness that we've gone through. So much so that when I got married to my wife, Nancy, we had this moment where I said, Nancy, you've been, man, you've inherited such a rich faith. 
Your dad is an amazing guy, and he really is. Her mom is amazing, lovely family. And in all seriousness, I said, maybe we should take your last name. Maybe we should take your last name. It's got such a rich history. But then we had this moment as we were praying together and as God was working, and, and, I just, and, and we had this moment where we realized, maybe, maybe we need to redeem this name, Steiger. And maybe this is our faith inheritance that as we follow Jesus and as he works in us now as a couple that we can pass on to our children and that one day we can be proud of. Listen, I share that because I, I know that there are some of you that this, this is resonating with you. I want to encourage you. Do you have faith? Is that faith rooted in Jesus and is it transforming you as you place your trust in him? The second question that follows off of this, though, is, is your faith growing? Now, let's, let's jump back in here as Paul's going to pick up on this now in verse 6. And notice what Paul says here. He says, for this reason, right? So, so referencing back to your faith, right? This inheritance. And for Timothy, he's saying, listen, Timothy, you've got this great inheritance, your grandmother, your mother. And he's saying, for this reason, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Let me ask you, for this reason, whether it be a a rich faith or a deficit faith, what, what are you doing with the faith that you now have? Your own faith. Is your faith growing? Is your faith growing? This is an important question for us to ask. And it's a, it's a great metaphor, by the way, that, that Paul's using or illustration with an ember, right? And I think for a lot of us, though, we don't fully appreciate uh, the illustration he's giving, uh, go, getting at. But I, as a young man, I, I, uh, I learned to appreciate what he was talking about with starting a fire. Maybe some of you have got some outdoorsiness in you. When I was in college, I had this idea. I'd been watching too many of those Survivor shows, and I thought I could do that. So I decided, I made one of the dumbest mistakes of my life. I decided that I would take nothing into the woods and see if I could sleep outside uh, overnight in the woods. And, and in my mind, I had romanticized this, right? It was just going to be glorious. There were going to be wildlife around me, right? I was going to have this glowing fire, and I was just going to you know, be like reading my Bible or something like that. It was the complete opposite of that, by the way. I absolutely froze to death that night. I had a backpack. I put my body in my backpack. I don't know if you've ever gotten that desperate. I didn't have a sleeping bag or anything. I I was laying there, and I had a whole night to remind myself of how dumb this was. See, I tried to make a fire, but without matches or a lighter, it's tough. And that's what, by the way, that's what Paul would have known. He didn't have matches. He didn't have a lighter. Man, you had to work at building a fire and you would, you would work with flint or whatever it might be, right? And you would just get this little ember. I'm telling you, when you get an ember and you're freezing, you're, what do you do, right? You protect that ember. You want to make sure that nothing's going to blow that out. You protect it and you slowly add fuel to it and you begin to fan that thing because you realize how important it is. Paul's saying your faith is like that. Your faith is so important and you need to protect it and you need to fan it into flame so that it would grow. Would you say this morning, if your faith is growing, is it like a fire? Have you taken the time to fuel it, to fan it, to see it grow? As I think about our faith and as I think about reasons why our faith don't grow, 
Uh, I think one of the greatest reasons that our faith isn't growing is because of doubt. Doubt is something that you and I need to get in the habit of dealing with. And so this morning, what I wanted to mention is I wanted to just give you three tips for how to deal with doubt. Three tips to deal with doubt. Here's the first tip. My first tip is that doubt is not a bad thing. I want to encourage you that doubt is not a bad thing. It's a normal thing to have doubts. Don't run from your doubts. You need to engage with your doubts. And one of the things that I found as a young man, fresh in my faith, as I'm learning to follow Jesus and I've got my doubts, and as I began to deal with those doubts, something that I began to see that was so encouraging is I began to realize that Christianity has this robust intellectual tradition. We have a great history of some of the deepest thinkers that have ever lived have been Christians. And we have been thinking about these tough issues for a really long time. It's a part of our history. Why? Because we're not afraid to deal with doubt. Jesus wasn't, the Bible isn't. You constantly see this. And what do you see as you begin to deal with your doubt? You begin to see that your faith grows. This was absolutely true of me. I remember when I first came to faith in Jesus and I started to follow him and God began to call me into ministry. So I realized I was going to need to go to Bible college. And so I go to do my BA in biblical studies. And as I go to do that, I have this moment though, this, this, this doubt that creep, crept over me. I'll never forget it. As I began to think about, what am I going to find? When I start digging into my faith, what am I going to find? Is it, is it going to actually be solid? Are there going to actually be answers there? Or am I going to find out that this whole thing's just been pie in the sky, wishful thinking, and it's actually not true? There was a part of me that was actually afraid as I went into my BA in biblical studies. But interestingly, I come out of that BA digging into my faith and I came out of it and I've had this thought that have come over me over and over again as I've wrestled with my own doubts. I have this moment where I, I, just, I just pray out, Lord, I am so thankful to be a Christian. I am so thankful for what I have found in Christ, what I have found in this, this tradition of deep and wonderful thinking that continues to challenge me and continues to inspire me. But I remember uh, I went on, uh, I, I pastored here, I told you at Eagle Ridge, and then I went and I pastored uh, in uh, Emmanuel Fellowship uh, Baptist Church in Abbotsford. And I had this moment in my ministry life where my wife and I went off to Los Angeles to complete a master's degree. And I remember going down to LA to do this master's degree. And again, that dark cloud came over. And I thought, man, what am I going to find when I go even deeper in my faith? Are, are those answers going to be solid if I go even deeper? It was an amazing experience for me doing my master's degree and being so encouraged once again and having that moment where I'm like, I'm so thankful to be a Christian. I'm so thankful for what I found in Christ. It's interesting, by the way, because it was at that time that my wife and I were planning on heading off to be missionaries when I was done with that degree. But while I was at school at Biola, I heard Lee Strobel talking and he was sharing about the number of young people that were leaving the faith. And really it was driven by young people having questions and not being uh, engaged with. And, and I saw in Los Angeles, though, the incredible work that apologetics was doing. You see, apologetics has an incredible way of not, you know, oftentimes people think of apologetics as like this evangelistic thing. Apologetics is about you. It's about your faith. 
You know, first and foremost, we need to give a good reason for the hope that we have to me, right? To myself. It's interesting, by the way, because when you start to deal with your doubts and you start to answer your own questions, you will naturally want to share that with other people. We do that even with our devices, right? I remember when I moved from a PC to a Mac, I just couldn't help telling people about my Mac. Now I got friends who have moved on to their Android devices and they, they try evangelizing me over to those. I get it. You know, I've been there. And, and by the way, one of them's doing a pretty good job these days. My iPhone's looking a lot less as, as nice as it used to and that Android's looking pretty good. But you'll naturally do that, won't you? You will naturally tell people about those things that you believe are true. Uh, I wanted to just encourage you, by the way. Uh, we, so I went from Los Angeles back up to Canada and we started Apologetics Canada. And the whole point of that was to come alongside churches and help churches to be able to engage with our culture with the questions that we're asking and to particularly to encourage our young people. Uh, we've been doing something now for 10 years called the Apologetics Canada Conference. It's been a part of, uh, well, it was with Apologetics Canada. We've been doing this through Northview. It's been hosted out at Northview now for seven years. And one of the things I find so interesting about this is that this event has sold out for the last 10 years. And we're just about to, this, we have limited tickets. There are still tickets available, but, but they're limited. And then one of the things I think is so interesting about that is that I, I am convinced that if you, if you raise the questions culture's asking, they're, gonna, they're interested. Same thing with the church. Our young people get bombarded with questions. They do. And we need to be prepared to be able to walk with them through that and to encourage them. And so that's what this conference is about. You can probably tell that uh, Tim actually caught this. That it's a Back to the Future uh, theme this year. And one of the, the big talk that we're dealing with on the Friday is we're looking at key ethical issues confronting Christians in the next 10 years. The thought that I had is, listen, we've been doing this for 10 years, and I wanted to take a moment to just pause and do something that I think the church needs to get better at. And that is just to take a moment as we look into this next decade and just ask, what are the big questions that are coming? What do we need to be prepared to think deeply about and to be able to help our young people wrestle through? So that's what we're going to be doing on the Friday Throughout the Saturday, there is all kinds of main sessions, and there's over 18 different breakout sessions dealing with a whole host of questions. I don't have time to get into all of that today, but if this is something that you're interested in, there's flyers in the back. You can grab one. And as well, if you're a student, there are student scholarships here. We want to help make it available for anyone who would like to come to be able to grow in your faith as we deal with our doubts. I want to encourage you to come out to that. We also have some other uh, free events and whatnot that are taking place with that. So as I got into, you know, I finished my master's degree then, come back, start Apologetics Canada, been doing this ministry, and then I began another journey of where I, I started my PhD. I'm now at the end of that. I've been doing PhD work for five years now at Aberdeen University out in Scotland, been uh, going over there periodically. And it's in the area of philosophy, theology, and a little bit of science. And I just want to encourage you, because again, as I went into that, that journey, I had that cloud that came over again. It's like, what are you going to find, Andy, right? When you go all the way down to bedrock, is it solid down there? Is Christianity, does it hold up? And man, as I finished my PhD now, I have been so encouraged and blessed, church. Again, that moment just saying, I am so thankful to be a Christian and what I have found in Jesus that I have found nowhere else. And it is an inheritance that I look forward to as I am giving to my children because I am confident that it is what will lead to their flourishing and what they will find 
nowhere else. Doubt is not bad. Wrestle with your doubts. You will be encouraged. Secondly, doubt must be consistently confronted. Doubt must be consistently confronted. I particularly want to encourage you parents, or maybe you've got a friend that constantly asks you questions. I know my kids, I've got two of them, they're constantly asking me questions. Parents, that is such an important moment to walk with your children through the questions that they have. Don't run from those, run to those. Help them to work through those questions. Maybe you've got a friend that comes to you with questions. Don't avoid those questions. Deal with those questions. And let me just say this too. If you find yourself avoiding those, it might be because because you yourself got your own questions that you need to deal with. I find that we often can get really defensive when people ask us questions or challenge our faith because our faith actually needs to be strengthened. When you're confident about what you believe, you don't worry about people asking you questions or challenging you. I speak at all of our local universities. In fact, I was just last week at UBC speaking and people often say, oh, Andy, is that scary? No, it's not scary. I love it. Why? Because, man, if, if a student can ask me a question I've never thought of myself, like, I'll give them a high five, right? And if they can ask me one that I'm stumped on, I'll be like, that's a double high five. I'll go home and think about it. I'm not worried about that. But listen, I want to take a moment, though, to be able to share with them from the encouragement that I've received and help them as they walk through their own faith journey. And it was incredible, by the way, last week at UBC to see the number of people that were uh, just growing in their faith. To see God is at work, even in our local university campuses. But listen, here's what research tells us, parents. If you consistently help your children with the questions that they're wrestling with, you develop a pattern so that when you're no longer in the picture, they already see that there's been this pattern of questions and answers and questions and answers so that when they're now off in university and they get bombarded with a question that they don't know, they've already got this intellectual, this, this history, right? This inheritance of questions that have been answered that gives them confidence that although I don't have the answer right now, I know that there probably is a good answer. And then they know I can go ask that question. I can go to my church and ask that question. I can, I, there's resources that I can go and I can begin to dig into that. It encourages them. Another one too that I just want to challenge you with and that is this, that it's not just intellectual questions that you and I have. They're also questions of the heart. And that those need to be addressed as well. And one of the ways that, that, uh, that I have seen and research tells us is a great way to encourage your, your a friend or your, or your child is like, and I, I was just thinking about this one today because as we were driving to church this morning, my wife and I were talking to our kids about some friends that we're praying for. We have a, a friend in our community group that, that has cancer or potentially has cancer and we're praying for him and his wife. We have another friend who has to head back home to Sweden because her mom isn't doing well and and we're praying for them. But one of the things that we need to get in the habit of is not just telling people about the prayer requests. We need to be reminded of the prayers answered. We need to be reminded that God is at work. And if I could just encourage you this morning, we do a podcast uh, with Apologetics Canada. um, And this is a podcast that we just recently did. We did this last week. And we, we basically just wanted to share with people, hey, here's a miracle that happened in our own community. 
Happened in 2018, there was a horrible car accident in Surrey, some of you may know about. And there was a group of us online, uh, many of us that were praying for Livia. Livia is one of our young adults at Northview. And, and we went there as pastors and elders praying for her. And it was an incredible, miraculous story of God healing her physically. That's just incredible. And if you'd like to hear the story, you can listen to that. Encourage your children with it. Encourage a friend. But more than that, an incredible miracle of the heart. As through Christ, she forgave who did this and now is using this story to encourage other people and point them to Jesus. Incredible. We need to celebrate those sorts of things. We need to be reminded it's not just prayers requested, it's prayers answered. Third, uh, doubt is more than just intellectual. And we need, to, we need to wrestle with that. I have a friend named John. Maybe some of you got a friend like this. John's an atheist and I love him dearly. But John, uh, when we talk about God, he will come up with any reason not to believe. He'll make up a reason. I got so annoyed one day, I said, John, could you be convinced that God exists? And he put his hands behind his head. He leaned back and he thought about it. And he goes, yeah, he goes, I think I could be convinced. <laughs> I'm like, perfect. Could you please tell me what would convince you? And he leaned back, thought about it again. And then he got, and then he came back to me. Took him a while. He thought about it. And he said, he goes, I'm not sure. And, and I just took a moment to challenge John. And I said, John, listen, I'm not convinced that you could be convinced. I said, I could imagine that God could rip the roof off of this building right now, jump before you and say, guess who, John? And you could still reason your way out of it. Now think about this for a moment, church. I, I said to John, I can't imagine a way that God can reveal himself to you that you can't reason your way out of. Let me say that again. I can't imagine a way that God can reveal himself to you that you can't reason your way out of. Even if God ripped the roof off the building and jumped before you, you could still just imagine that you had eaten some bad sushi or something, right? Maybe, maybe you're like having a daydream if you lost your mind or who knows? I mean, you could reason your way out of it. It's one of those moments that you begin to realize people are more than just these intellectual machines, that we have a heart, and that there's often something going on here, and there's often some brokenness going on here. And if I could just encourage you, it means that this isn't something that we do in our own power, that we co-labor with, with God in this. And it means that you and I need to get in the habit of praying for people. Maybe here's a convicting thought for you. If God were to answer all of your prayers from last week, would the, would the world look any different? Would the world look any different? How often is it that we just take time to pray for those people we love and care for as they're working through what's going on in here? All right, let's move on to this last point. Are you ashamed of your faith? All right, now jumping back into the word here, we are in um, 2 Timothy now. I'm in chapter 1, verse 8, and we read, so do not be ashamed of the, of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. In other words, Timothy, God knows what he's doing. This isn't something that he just made up. He's had this plan from the beginning. This is his purposes. His purpose hasn't changed, by the way, church. God loves you, 
And he created you to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship with one another. And the plan hasn't changed. However, sin, evil has broken that relationship, separates us physically through death. It separates us spiritually in death. But yet God didn't give up on us. In his grace, he sent his son that we might have the forgiveness of sins, that we might have reconciliation of relationship through Jesus so that we can fulfill the purpose that we were created for. The Bible ends the same way it began, that we can have a relationship with God and we can have a relationship with one another and it will change our lives. Do you believe that? If you believe that, you will live that. But this is where Paul's challenging Timothy. It's where it challenges you and I. Do we actually believe that? Or could it be that we might be ashamed of the gospel, that we might be ashamed of our faith. See, you and I live in a culture of identity crises, don't we? We really do. And we get in a really good habit of asking each other two questions that we're often uncomfortable to answer. What's your name and what do you do, right? I've never been comfortable with either of those. Uh, you know, a name I'm trying to redeem and then a profession where I became a pastor and, and you're always unsure how to tell that to people and what they're going to think because we live in a culture that's got so many ideas of what it means to be a pastor. But if I could just tell you one of the more uh, shameful moments of my life was in my own identity crisis. I had, I had uh, performed a, a wedding for this, this couple that we had met, friends of ours, he works as, in Vancouver as an anesthesiologist, and, and she's a, a nurse. Very, very, um, you know, a couple that, that has just, they've achieved a lot in their life, and it's very easy to feel uh, insecure around people like that. And then it just got worse because we went on this reception with them that was just a boat. It was a boat reception out in Vancouver that was just full of doctors and nurses and all sorts of people you know, and, and I'm sitting at like this table full of surgeons, you know, and my wife's with me. Of course, my wife has to witness one of my lowest moments. You know, God forbid she couldn't have been there for that. And, uh, and one of the guys asked me, you know, what's your name and what do you do? They, they weren't at the wedding. And, uh, and, I, and I said, well, my name's Annie Steiger. And I said, I said, I'm a pastor, but this was when I was just fresh in ministry, just finished college. I said, I'm, pa I'm a pastor, but I'm going to become a lawyer, I told him. <laughs> I wish you could see my wife's face as she whipped over and looked at me with this look like, you didn't just say that. You know, you're a fool. And I'm like, I know, I am. I am a fool. And, and it was this moment where I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, why did I just say that? What, what is going on in here? Listen, I don't want to just pretend that this whole Christianity thing is like some sort of fairy tale, right? And you, you put your trust in Jesus and, and all of a sudden everything just works out in the end, right? You and I got hurt in our past that we've got to deal with. And I was still, even as a new pastor, I was still dealing with that. And I needed to work through why, why, was, why was that taking place? Why was there shame in me that I needed to deal with? Let's not share that because maybe some of you can resonate with that. Maybe you've had your own shameful moments where you've been asked, hey, I'm going skiing on Sunday. You want to join me? And you come up with something other than I'm going to church on Sunday. 
Or maybe you've been asked one of those questions. You know what I'm talking about, where you start to realize, man, what's going on here? Why am I not so willing to tell people that I'm a Christian and I love Jesus and I'd love to tell them about Jesus? I saw this uh, powerfully displayed for me once while I was teaching at PLBC, a school nearby. And uh, I was teaching world religions course. And one of the things that I like to do in the classes that I teach is I like to have the students, especially when I'm speaking at a Bi- when I'm teaching at a Bible school, is to is to have them share the gospel. I want them to know what the gospel is and to be able to articulate it. And so I really wanted to take things up a notch this year. And I said, in your midterm, I said, I'm bringing a friend of mine who's an atheist to class, and part of your midterm is you need to share the gospel with him. And I said, and if he comes to faith, you're getting extra credit. <laughs> uh, t- these students were freaking out. I told him it was was an atheist Buddhist friend of mine. My friend, his name is Steve Kim. He's Korean, but I figured he's Asian. They'll believe he's Buddhist. Uh, And uh, and he he wasn't. He works with me with Apologetics Canada, uh, and he's a Christian. But I wanted them to, you know, have a little bit of that holy fear in them, right, as they're sharing the gospel. And then then Steve, uh, Steve hammed it up, though, a little too much. As they walked into the room, he was meditating like this. And... uh, you know, and he's wearing like a, this, this garb and whatnot. And, and these students are, they're freaking out when they came to class to share gospel with this poor Buddhist that I brought in. And one girl was so scared, she was just tearing up. She was just weeping. And she tried her best to get out of it. And I said, no, there's no way you're getting out of this. You are sharing the gospel with this guy. And, and she did. But the next day, I'll never forget this. The next day she came back to class and she said, Andy, that, that midterm destroyed me. She goes, I went home and I cried for hours. And I was like, oh, man, maybe I, maybe I overdid it. And I said, why? Well, I go, what's wrong? She goes, I, I went home, and I had to take a deep look into here. She goes, I realized I'm ashamed of the gospel. She goes, I had, to, I had to wrestle with that and go and ask, what is going on in here? Why couldn't I share my faith with this guy? And in the end, he was a Christian anyways. Why are you so afraid? And God began to work in her. God also began to work in me. As I was young in ministry, God began to teach me and began to work in me and began to work not only my doubts, but my identity. See, you and I need to not only deal with our doubts, but we need to deal with our identity that needs to be firmly rooted in who we are as Christians, as Christ followers. I had a moment of redemption. I'll close with this. I had a moment of redemption this summer. I got invited to speak at the World Congress in Switzerland at Lucerne University as asked for my doctoral work to speak to the topic of human dignity from the Christian perspective. And it was full of law professors and judges from around the world as I'm sharing the Christian perspective for human dignity and I'm just giving it to them. And it was this amazing moment where after my lecture, we were having this like dinner party, right? And we're all standing around these tables and a guy asks me, amongst all these, you know, people that you, you respect, right? What's your name and what do you do? And I had this moment where everything came flooding back, right? And I said, man, my name's Andy Steiger and I love Jesus. And I told him that I'm a pastor and I love being a pastor. I probably put it on a little too thick, right? Because the people are like, oh man, like he really likes being a pastor. And, and I had this moment where I'm like, man, Lord, I, I, it was just this like high, high five moment with Jesus where I'm like, yes, my identity is rooted in you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And you know what God did in the midst of that? I had the privilege of sharing my faith with a number of lawyers uh, and and, uh, law professors from around the world. 
as they came up to me at lunchtime, they would come eat with me and they'd say, listen, you're clearly not ashamed of your faith and you're clearly willing to talk about God. I've got questions. And I couldn't believe how God was able to use that moment of vulnerability. And I know that he can do the same in your life. Deal with your doubt. Firmly root your identity in him. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I am so thankful for you. We are so thankful, Lord, that we, that we have faith and that we can place our faith in you and we have good reason to place our faith in you. But I pray for each one here, Lord. I pray that, that we would be growing that faith, that we'd be dealing with the doubts that we have, that we wouldn't run from those. And that as we deal with those doubts that in our faith grows, Lord, that we would not be ashamed of that faith, that our identity would be firmly rooted in you and that we would know how great it is to follow you and that we'd be willing to share that with anyone, not only the life transformation that I've seen in my grandmother, that I've seen in my mom, but that I have seen in me and that I would share that. Lord, help me to pass on that inheritance of faith. Help us to pass that on in your name and to your glory and to the building of your kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen.